Welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox, and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Hello, and welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I am your host, Nicole Cumberbatch. I have a very special guest, Lucas Sipe Williams, who is a father of two children, Jacob and Noah. Jacob is seven and autistic and nonverbal. Noah is four and typical and very verbal. Lucas and his wife, Rochelle, are raising their boys in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains in Southwest Virginia. Lucas has been contributing to individuals, couples, businesses, and families as a professional full-time coach since 2005, as a health coach, life coach, business coach, and now parenting coach. His favorite tool for impacting parents and children is through human design analysis, which he has been studying, living, and sharing since 2014. Lucas is trained in human design at the OC16 level through the BG5 Institute, and he has been a student of and a guide for others using many, many personal and professional growth methods and tools. Human design has been by far the most powerful tool for improving his own marriage, parenting, and family dynamic, which is why he has now shared this revolutionary knowledge and how to practically apply it with hundreds of clients and why he's so excited to share it with us today on this podcast. Lucas, how are you today? I know that was a mouthful. (laughs) I'm doing great. Um, My body's a little tired. I've been losing sleep this week because my parents have had COVID and they're doing well, but I was stressed. Okay. Um, But I'm, my spirit is, and and, uh, my spirit is good. I feel great. I'm happy to be here. Okay. Let's get into my icebreaker round. So what is your favorite book or one that you would like to recommend? This is the toughest question of the podcast. Uh, So I'm going to recommend a children's book because I've been probably the last eight years, pretty much only reading human design. Uh, so I won't really recommend a human design book. I guess if, if you get into human design, the definitive book of human design, the definitive, uh, yeah, the science of differentiation, that would be what I would recommend. But that's not going to be a great recommendation for most people. Um, my son Noah and I were having fun with the Royal Doll books, and we were just, just read the BFG, The Big Friendly Giant. So if you've got kids and you haven't read that one yet, that's a lot of fun. All right, cool. Thank you for that. It's so funny. A lot of people, well, most recommend like adult books, but I'm glad that you recommended like a children's book or one that you could read with your children together. So thank you. I appreciate that. And if he's four, that's great because Jace is four. He'll be five. So if he can get into that, then maybe I'll have to check that out for for Jace. So thank you. Um, What are the values that guide you and your family? Uh, I would say number one is unconditional love and respect for each family member's individuality. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, those are probably the top two. I love it. And how has fatherhood transformed you? <laughs> In every way. <laughs> uh, yeah, just cracked my heart open. I mean, my, my son Jacob almost died when he was born. He was in the NICU for 14 days. And it was like, I was scared of, there was a big part of me that was afraid of becoming a father, you know? And it was like, I was hoping for kind of an easy, one of those kind of easeful starts and it was as, about as tumultuous as you could get. So I got trial by fire and just, yeah, it just changed everything and um, never knew 
I could love something, someone so much and worry so, sure. so much. <laughs> I think there's, I don't know who said it or what, but there was someone that said, I thought I loved my wife and wholeheartedly and I take a bullet for my wife. And now my children were born. It was like, honey, get out the way. Now it's, you know, it's my children I would really die for. Now you know who you really like. It's a completely, utterly different. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, it's so true. Because when we fall in love, we're like, oh my God, this is like, this is it. This is like amazing. And then you have children and you're like, yeah, no, that's, it's, yeah. So completely understand. So it takes a village to raise a child and to uplift a mother. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I, you know, this is a motherhood podcast. So I always say to uplift a mother, but I also believe, and I've talked to some fathers, um, they're like, what about us? You know, there's single dads out there. There's, you know, the new generation. I, th I think I was reading a statistic that, and I don't know what the percentage was of how much fathers are either stay at home dads or really involved in their children's life. Um, so it does also take a village to uplift a father, I guess I'll say. So who and what has been a part of your family's village? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we made the crazy decision to move away from our support network and a lot of our family a couple years into parenthood. That we moved from Baltimore to Virginia mm -hmm. out of an amazing support network. Um, but because of obviously the internet, we've um, what I would say the number one support for me has been men's being in a part of a men's group, and that's a virtual men's group. Back in the day, I participated in person, but now, you know, I have um, a group of eight men that I, I meet with and we're in each other's lives and we're supporting each other and standing for each other and cheering each other on. And it's great because in that group, we can say everything, you know, there's no anything, anything that's on our mind, on our heart. Um, there's no judgment. And uh, yeah, and it's, and it's, it's amazing to to be able to share this journey of being a man and being a father with others who can relate. So I know there's lots of support, but that's, that's what's done it for me. And no, and tell me, how did you find a difference of when that group came into your life? Because I think a lot of times, and that's really powerful for you to say that, like men think, you know, like, yeah, we have friends and you see each other. Maybe, you know, you might, I don't know, there's a football game on and that's the, the, the most that you'll think of connecting. Have you found that really, truly connecting with this group made a difference? And did you join the group after you became a father? I guess that'll be my, my next question with that. Yeah. So before I became a father, I had been a coach, a health coach and a life coach for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I would say almost 10 years. So I'd been very steeped in personal growth, personal development. I valued um, the opportunity to have a coach, to be a coach. So all of that, sure. so all that to say, mm -hmm. I started in men's groups very early. In fact, a, a man who I met through coaching school, we were both graduated the same time. He had done men's work for a long time, so he invited me in. But what I can say is that uh, I brought a lot of other men into men's work, and mm. they, a lot of them had that, that stark contrast that you pointed to, where there are many men who share with no one, right, and have no one supporting them beyond what you named, like the camaraderie of sports sure. or uh, being a fan or whatever it may be. Uh, and they would share with me that it was a lot of them were 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 cautious or skeptical about whether they would need it or benefit from it or whether they would feel comfortable. And many of them, it's like, wow, I, I recently just just a week ago, got a text message from a man who now is um, is starting. He's, he's bringing men into the, that kind of work. And he was one who was, and he was just like, Lucas, thank you so much. 
because it really does make such a difference. That's awesome that you've seen that and, and that's good to hear. And I'm glad that we're putting it on this platform. Um, so bonus question, and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes of the conversation. What is your parenting superpower? Uh, silliness, I think, and <laughs> silliness and, and imagination. Um, and I would say, yeah, connected to that as well, being present, just being like mm -hmm. right there with them, being a playmate. Um, I think I'm going to be challenged as they get older and it's more about needing to be that role model father figure. That, that's going to be different territory for me, but uh, my father modeled it for me really well. He was an amazing playmate, you know, to, to make life fun. And uh, right now, Noah, who's four, you know, it's like we play in imaginary worlds where there's dinosaurs chasing us <laughs> and then we're like traveling around the world to save some baby animal. And mm -hmm. so I, I, I like that. I can. I can get with all that. Jace is in that way too. And I, I try to, even though if I'm tired, I'm like, oh, you know, and he's, he's taking it there and he wants, he's like, imagine if this is this, and he's got his whole creative imaginative spirit going. And I'm like, this is not going to be like this forever. So let me like, <laughs> yeah. let me take it all in because I know at some point I'm going to miss that, yeah. you know, like it's not going to be like this forever. He's going to be grown. He's not going to want to see us or be around us or he may. And, and you know, I, I hate to say that because I, I like to think positive and say that he'd still want to hang out with us occasionally. Um, but my, all that to say he's going to grow up so you know to have him hear these creative things i'm like wow let me appreciate it more than just being like okay i'm tired right. let's play so i i like that you're intuitive with that and knowing that that is your superpower because to me i think that's key and truthfully at that age that's all children want from us like they just want a little playmate for like a few minutes give them some time give them some one-on-one -on -one attention and they're good mm -hmm. you know so that's good that you recognize that so now let's go into the segue so um a couple of things in the bio i read and you just mentioned that you are a life coach spent time a lot in personal development for many years before diving into human design also writing your bio your son jacob is autistic and nonverbal. so before we dive into human design, do you want to speak on any of that and then maybe how it ties to human design? What is human design? Or we can jump into human design and then I'll ask, you know, kind of how you've incorporated into your family, whatever you want to jump to with that. Sure. Yeah. So, well, I'll just say how human design, well, what is human design? Human design is, it's a, you could think of it as a typology system. So for people who've been exposed to, or maybe even been involved with things like Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finders, mm -hmm. um, Wealth Dynamics, any of these systems where it helps sh uh, shed light on and create distinction about the diversity of human beings and how we, even though we're the same species and share almost all the same, you know, all the same genetic material, um, how different we actually can be. So it's about self-understanding, self-knowledge. But beyond that, actually, it's, it, it's really teaches about the mechanics of the universe and the mechanics of humanity. How does it all work? Um, what's different, what makes human design different from other typology systems is that it's completely objective in the sense that it doesn't require, most of these systems require us, our own mind to decide, to learn about the system and decide which type we are or to answer questions. And from those questions, they'll decide what type we are. So the reason why human design is objective is because it, it uses, it doesn't use our minds at all. It doesn't require any input from us other than our birth date, 
time and location, which also makes it quite weird. And, and uh, in this, it, could, it could occur as weird for those of us who are not into astrology or things like that. And it did for me. I was never interested in anything esoteric. I wasn't into astrology, anything like that. I always wanted to know, you know, prove it, like show me the evidence and um, needed things to be, be uh, completely verifiable and grounded in, in, in science that's fully, fully been proven. Uh, and human design is esoteric. However, it's extremely logical and, and verifiable. So it's, it's origins and some of its foundations can't yet be proven or explained. However, the actual knowledge itself, like when, when I got my first reading, the reason why I got, I got into it in the first place is because it was so accurate. It explained more about me and my life and, and made my life make sense more so than anything that I'd ever experienced prior to it. Um, so my wife got me into human design because, and that's usually how things had happened in my life. Like my wife is also a coach. She would, she would get interested in something or someone would tell her about something and then she'd start talking to me about it. And I would say, oh, we don't need that or that's stupid or whatever it is, right? I was kind of the stick in the mud. I still can be. Um, but uh, it seemed harmless enough. Like she wanted to do these readings. Let's do it. And it just blew me away. It just blew me away. It's like, wow, this explains some things that I've really been struggling with that made no sense to me prior to that. And that was eight years ago. Um, it was right around the time where my son, uh, Jacob, we were, we were, we were pregnant with Jacob and when he was going to be born. So I had already been a professional coach for 10 years. And then I'm making this transition about into fatherhood and human design shows up and it just, opened up a whole new world for me. What are the different types of human design? And then how, because I know you didn't mention that. Um, and I was shaking my head uh, for those that can't see when you were saying it changed everything, because I'll just say a quick backstory. You and I met through a mutual, uh, a, I guess, friend of mine. And I don't know, a friend or acquaintance of yours. And she was like, oh my gosh, you have to meet Lucas. Like he did my human design. It's amazing. And um, I had you do mine and my sons and my husband's, but you had more of my um, mine and my son's more accurate information because you did have all three things. You had the time of um, the time of birth, the day of birth, the place of birth. Yeah. Um, and I was just blown away at what you were telling me, considering we had never spoken before. You know nothing about me, nothing about my son, um, and particularly with my son of how um deep you got with like explaining and answering a lot of questions that I had. And we just spoke for a little bit. So why don't you talk about the different types of, what is it called? I guess the, the generated project, what are those things yeah, called? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll share my screen and give, give people a visual and I'll keep in mind that we're also have some podcast listeners and I will, I will get to the types. So the, this is my design and your design, right? And just visually for those mm -hmm. of you can see, uh, we're very different. And Human design is a synthesis of a bunch of different systems, including astrology, the chakras. So for those of you who can see, what you're looking at is nine centers, nine energy centers. And they're either colored in, meaning that's where energy flows consistently, or they're open, which means that they're an energy receptor. So you can see Nicole is very open. and I. So you've got seven open centers and I have two open centers. One thing that human design reveals 
is it shows us nature versus nurture. So everything that's colored in on your chart, and for those of you who are just listening, just imagine when, when you put in your birth information, you end up with this map of your energetic body. And it shows you your nature, meaning what is consistent and reliable? What are the ways of being and operating that are going to be consistent and reliable? And you see in Nicole, she's got this one looping channel from the red center to the yellow center. And these two centers in that one channel, the thematics of those are going to be consistent and reliable for Nicole. That's who she is. That's her nature. And then for me over here, I've got um, a number of centers connected. Um, that, that that's who I'm going to be consistent and reliable with. Now, I want to get back to uh, the, the, so that's nature where you're, where we get nurtured or conditioned is everywhere where we're open. So at the time that I found human design, I was burned out and I didn't even have kids yet. I was burned out from overdoing it my whole life. When I went to a job interview, I would tell the person interviewing me, if you hire me, you're going to get the hardest working, most competitive person because that's who I was. Human design showed me, for those of you who can see it, there's two centers that are open, these white centers. That's who I'm not, but it's who I'm, where I'm predisposed and highly susceptible and vulnerable to think I should be someone I'm not. So this little triangle is always having something to prove and being competitive. And then the square that I don't have here is overdoing it, never knowing when enough is enough, overworking. So my whole identity got created around what, what we call in human design, the not self. Whereas you can see Nicole does have the red square, which means you are designed to work. You're a builder. You're here to work and work consistently and enjoy doing work, of course, that you that you want to do, not just any work, but you're here to, to have a, you've got a lot of energy and you're here to use that energy. I'm not here to work and I'm not here to compete, but my whole life, that's how I got ahead. So one of the things that's unique about being a human being is this openness that we all have is where we, most people end up where their, their whole identity gets formed. But the problem is that the bodies that we were born into are not capable of supporting that way of operating in the world. So my physical body was wearing down. I was under more stress than somebody who is designed to be competitive and to work hard. And so even in my 30s, I was dealing with health challenges. And even as a health coach who did a lot of really great things for my health, I had poor, poorer health than I should have. And I was stressed mentally and emotionally, and I just couldn't sustain it. It was unsustainable. The last thing I'll say about that that usually makes this come home is when we live out of our not self, it's like spending money on a credit card when we don't have the money in the account, especially these energy centers. So for me, from those two open centers to be living as the most competitive person and the most hardworking person, I was racking up energetic debt that I had no way, my body had yeah. no way of paying off. And so that was going to lead me to a health You crisis. couldn't replenish yourself. Yeah. 
For sure. And you had no way to replenish yourself because by design, you're not or lack of design, you're not you're not built that way. Yeah. Um, and I know it's that age old thing, because I know for me, me and my husband would or I would clash and get frustrated because I'm doing 20 million things. And to your point, I have that all read. So I'm a worker. Mm-hmm. I can work and I don't get burnt out fairly quickly. I really don't. Um, and I'm like, come on. Like, I'm, And he would say he's tired. And I'm like, dude, do you not see like my list and everything that I have going on? I'm like, you know, and, and I had to then realize I'm like, whoa, 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 not even by human design, but of understanding like him and I are different. Mm-hmm. But even pushing that to the side and going deeper of saying, how can I expect him to be something that I am not if I can do that? So you doing all this makes so much sense because I can understand why I don't get burnt out easily. Um, I know when I need to rest and I recognize it, but for the most part, I'll go and go and go. Where my husband, he doesn't, he recognizes he he needs to stop and slow down. So, um, you know, I know it sounds so like, oh, but duh, you know, you could recognize, but to your point, if that's something that you've been trained to be, society tells us we have to work and do all of these things, but you're physically getting burnt out, even though you know, like you said, you're a health coach, you're getting all this stuff that you should be knowledgeable and saying, no, I'm taking care of myself, you know, all the the ways that are um you know what maybe you're eating correctly and you're like but I am sleeping but you're burning yourself out in the other way of being competitive of working and doing all of these things so it's um I think amazing to hear it described that way because I think it will put a lot of things into perspective with people especially if they have their human design read and especially if they do it for their children or their spouse or whatever relationship they want to kind of understand a little bit further that they have in their life but go on because I know you have yeah, the no, types here listed yeah that was that was great and it to, to the point you made, it's so important to get this knowledge earlier in life because I got it right at the yes. point where I had set so many things into motion. It was correct for me to be a coach, but not to be a, a maniac business building coach, you know, <laughs> uh, trying to keep up with my, my coaching colleagues of a different type who are designed yeah. to, to operate in the way. And so to, to give children this knowledge and teenagers this knowledge before some, they make decisions that set things into motion that they can't undo, like I'm still recovering from burnout eight years later, because as you, as you all who are parents know, it doesn't get any easier, right? It doesn't get any easier. Life doesn't, there isn't any less work. So if I'm someone who's not designed to work, y'all know having kids is work right? <laughs> that's work. That's another job. You know, that's a business in itself, the business of family. May I ask then, before we go into the types that you have here, how have you, or are you still learning how to balance that? Because I think that's a good follow-up question of, for someone who is by design, not meant to be a worker um, or gets burnt out when there's so many things going on. And to your point, if you want to be and in my opinion, the best father or parent that you can be, you have to be involved. Mm-hmm. That just is what it is. Kids do not understand. They, they can at some levels when I haven't felt good and my husband would be like, all right, let's let mommy sleep. But that only lasts for so long. If you're having a day or you come home and you're like, I need a minute. They're like, no, like you said, your four-year-old's like, daddy, let's go, let's play. So how have you learned to balance or how have you learned to overcome it? Like, what has that been like? Well, a big part of it was, letting go of the ways of operating. See, every type, it doesn't matter. Even when I say I'm not here to work, all human beings are, and the way the program works is that human beings are designed to get their needs met. There's nothing more natural than human beings coming together in the marketplace to exchange value. And that goes 
and every type and every every unique person has their gift to give that adds value and that value it's designed to get, be recognized and then compensated um, but i had to let go of a lot of the formulas for being successful you know and and there's a lot of propaganda out there it's not like a conspiracy or anything it's um <laughs> but this idea that you can be anything if you can see someone else do if one person can do it then any person can do it and you have a lot of successful people teaching that where just do it like I did it and you can also make this much money or you can also have this many clients or you can all, and what human design says is in this yeah and, and I've been okay human design says that's bs right that is bs you need we need to be ourselves and find our way in the world as ourselves in order to be healthy and set ourselves up for long-term sanity and well-being. For a period of time, we can. We can take on ways of being and operating that aren't natural and authentic for us, but the, the, it becomes unsustainable and oftentimes it leads to chaos and, and um, all kinds of problems in our relationships and our environment. And by the way, most human beings are actually operating that way and that's why we have an insane world where a lot, there's a lot of dysfunction and unworkability. So now we have the types here. So yeah. go ahead and dive into the yeah, types. So what you're seeing is four types. So there's, if we go back, if I, if I were to go back to the slide of my design and Nicole's design, you'd see that there's lots of information there and each human being is, is unique, right? But there are some high level categories where we can un start to understand, all right, 70% of the population are what we call generators. So that's Nicole. The generators have the life force energy to be active consistently. You all really are, are actually putting, like you're the builders of civilization and the, the, the maintainers of civilization. And on an energetic level, you're actually putting out like the life force that all of us live on. Um, projectors, so I'm a projector, my wife's a projector. I believe your son is a projector, right? Did we say that? Yeah. And yes, mm -hmm. that's 20% of the population and projectors are here to guide and advise others to be invited in to share what we see. So we don't have the energy to keep up with you generators. Um, projectors are, are meant to be energetically the way we fit in meant to be leaders, but not leaders who tell everyone what to do. You know, and that's a pitfall that projectors fall into is, is becoming dictatorial. But projectors are here to um, ask great questions and to share what we see. We have a, a unique ability to see. Um, and so we're not here to boss you all around. We're here when you all need us, you invite us in and we share what we see and we ask you great questions so that you can to help you be more efficient in how you're using your energy. About 9% of the population are manifestors. Manifestors used to rule the world um, and they're, they're still incredibly powerful. They are the initiators. They're the catalysts. They're the innovators. They're the ones to get things started. They're the ones who don't have to wait. If they see something as possible and it's aligned for them to, to make something happen, get something started, change something's direction, they have the energetic capacity to do that. 
manifestors, one of their challenges though, is that they also try to keep up with generators. So they'll get something started, but then they really need generators to see it all the way through. And so they can um, end up over committed as well to, to being too, doing too much work, being too active. And then the rarest um, type is the reflector. Reflectors are completely open. So for those of you who can see, you'll see that all nine of their centers are white and open and they're that's part of also what what intrigued me about human design is my my eldest son Jacob is a reflector. So not only am I a, a minority type projector, and that explained why I was burned out as a health coach, but also my first son who is so different, and not just that he's autistic. Even amongst autistic kids, he's very different, right? Because you could be an autistic child or person and be a generator, projector, manifester, or reflector. So he's so unique. And the reflectors are here to, because they're so open, they can give us the, the most objective reflection of how things are going. So if, you have, if you're running a company and you, you employ a reflector, that reflector is going to be able to tell you more accurately how healthy your business is. You know, who, wh what's working well and what's not working well in that company. Who's being paid fairly? Who's being paid unfairly? Who needs a raise? You know, who's good for the business? Who's not? They actually can sense all of that because of their openness. So you have these four major types. Um, and I'll just check in with you, Nicole. Is, did that come through clearly? Is there any questions you have about it? No, I think that was perfect. I mean, it's clear. And I even think when we did it, it was more so discussing me being a generator and my husband as well. And even that's a little iffy because we don't know the time of his birth. So because we don't know the time of his birth, it makes it a little difficult because I feel in my heart that he's a projector like my son. Oh, really? Um, a lot of what you've explained is kind of also um, my husband. Like my husband gets burnt out quickly. Like I said, I didn't understand I'm like, what? But it's it's it, it makes so much sense as you're talking. So anyway, I say all that to say, yes, I think you've done a great job. Um, I think describing the types, I think the only thing I would ask, I guess, if there's someone who's listening to this for the first time, I know you said that it's very objective and how real it is. So if someone wanted to get it done, if someone wanted to learn more about it, like what would they do to even understand it, I guess, a little bit further of saying this is what it is. Um, I know you mentioned horoscope. So yeah, you have the people out there that are like, oh, you mean like a Leo cancer, you know, goes by the date. Like how, I guess, is it how does that intertwine and how is it also completely different? I know you explained it, but yeah. I guess if there was another way of, yeah, if, if you know what I'm trying to get at. For those who, who are familiar with horoscopes and astrology and have, are interested in that, have gotten value from that, that is one of the systems that human design incorporates. It's, it's a synthesis of systems, astrology, that the I Ching, chakras, biology. For those of you who can see, this is my son, Noah. But everything in here, all of the numbers and the, the centers, the channels, it all correlates with, with organs and glands as well. So there's, there's a biological correlation. Um, but for those of you who are familiar with astrology, the, essentially what you're seeing here, and the reason why we use your birth time is that for whatever reason, the way, the way um, human beings work and the way kind of the universe works according to human design, you don't have to believe this, but... The way, um, the way it must work is that in, we, we essentially, in two key moments, we receive imprinting 
that is, it is essentially a reflection of the solar system and the universe. And that imprinting gives us our design. And then that's the thematic of your design is what you live out this lifetime. So you'll see that there are two rows, there are two columns of numbers. There's a red column on the left and a black column on the right. These are two sets of imprints. The red is the imprinting of your unconscious and your body. And that imprinting is a reflection of the universe about 88 days before you're born. And then the, the right column, the black numbers are a reflection of the universe the moment you take your first breath. And so these numbers, for, for those of you who can see, there's symbols here that are the, uh, the planets. So we have the sun, the earth, the nodes of the moon, the moon, Mercury, all the way out to Pluto. Okay. Um, so I don't think we should go too much farther than that. But in the sense that if you say, like, my son is a Taurus, and if we look at the, the mandala version of this, meaning the wheel, you'll see that it lines up with the zodiac. So here, down here in the bottom left, the second gate is my son Noah's conscious, our, our, his conscious son archetype. And you'll see the symbol for Taurus. He was born on May 7th. Everybody born on May 7th has the second gate in their conscious son. It doesn't matter what year it is. But then if you look, if we go back to his chart and we look at what's in Pluto, these, these numbers down here at the very bottom, the 61st gate and the 54th gate, those are generational themes because Pluto will stay in one of those gates for multiple years. So everybody born within a number of years of Noah, they carry the thematic of the 54th gate or the 61st gate. And that's something they share as a generation. That's one of the things, I don't know if you noticed this, Nicole, but we, when you were, when we were back in school, especially like middle school, high school, did you notice that there would be like almost distinct themes, like certain grades like would have more of the artists in it or more of the kids who were, who were like, you know, dressing crazy and doing, doing like really kind of pushing the envelope. And then some classes would have more of the kids who were um, kind of maintaining the status quo um, or more of the jocks, things like that. Um, I haven't seen a scientific study on that, but that is reflective of what I'm saying here where we have these generational themes. Sure. And then I guess I, I want to ask, and I, we have it here of like how it can benefit families. I think you've also mentioned to me in the past that you help corporations. Is that true too? Or you sure. have helped corporations? So tell me how it can benefit corporations. How does it benefit families? I know I mentioned it a little bit before. Um, and and I, I can do my own testimony for you too after. But yeah, how, how does it benefit people with relationships, basically? Yeah, well, let's, let, me, let me give you all some, because, um, yeah, let me just give you, like, I can just rattle off a list of, the, of what it shows you. So it shows yes. you your energy type, which we already talked about. But that's, that's how much energy do you have? How are you designed to to engage the world, right? Mm. It also shows us yes. the strategy for engaging the world. So not just how much energy you have, but what is the strategy for doing that successfully? Decision-making. There's probably nothing more important than the decisions we make, the big decisions. Am I gonna marry him or not? You know, are we gonna have kids or not? Am I gonna pursue this career path or not? You know, are we going to move or not? Are we going to make this investment or not? You know, all these big decisions and human design shows you how you're designed to make decisions correctly as yourself. Um, free of conditioning, right? Because 
because what's what happens to us as, as as human beings is we get we get conditioned our entire lives and for some people without human design it's easy to make the correct decision for themselves but a lot of people are completely in a cloud of confusion because they can't discern what's true for them versus what the conditioning of society or family is telling them is best. What are your consistent characteristics or strengths? Remember, I really thought one of the things that I could count on for my whole life was being competitive and hardworking. That was a not self shadow. That wasn't a strength. That was an inconsistent way of being. And in fact, a vulnerability that allowed me to get ahead in life, but was sending me towards a cliff. So human design shows very clearly what can you rely on consistently? What can other people rely on consistently versus what's inconsistent and where are you vulnerable? So that's helpful to know as, as an individual, it's helpful to know about our spouse. It's helpful to know about our child. If you're an employer of people, it's helpful to know, right? Cause you want someone, you want to know what can you count on them for? So what role are you here to play? So we, we had showed you there's four energy types. There's 12 distinct roles. It also sheds light on your life purpose, which a lot of people are really wanting to know, like, what am I designed to actually do here in this lifetime? This is very practical. Some people are loners. Some people are community people. Some people thrive and really need that one partner, whether it's an accountability partner, a business partner, you know, um, some people are, are small group people and people, you can be a combination of them as well. And much more. I have a whole other list for the parenting question, but the the thing that I want to highlight or underline or italicize here is that this is about embracing limitation. So much of the of the the, the per, personal and professional growth world is about being unlimited. This fantasy that we could be unlimited, we can be anything, we can do anything. We don't want to limit ourselves. So it's not like, oh, well, this is my human design. Therefore, I'll never be able to achieve this or experience that. We don't want to, we never use human design to limit ourselves, but we do want to understand our innate limitations so that when we run, when we, when we run into a difficult situation, we can know not to keep going forward with that way of being or operating or that decision-making strategy, whatever it is, right? So it really shows us a map so that we can stay within the territory that keeps us safe, keeps us healthy, keeps us thriving, keeps us successful. And on the parenting aspect, and I'll throw this in for my parents out there listening who are like, well, how can I'll, I'll just be very transparent. So the last time Lucas and I spoke, we had just gotten back from um, taking my son to karate. And Lucas, you had told me about my son. He's a projector. And no matter what he feels, right, if he or I should say, it does matter. And if he walks into a location, and he feels like this isn't the place for me, um, et cetera, et cetera, he will not budge. Mm -hmm. And I had noticed when I was taking him to this karate class, and this is, was now the third time. Now, my son could be very reserved, very shy. When you had explained from the first time we talked um, that that is, you're like, yeah, he doesn't, he needs time to like really open up to people and he has to make sure he feels comfortable. I've already had that 
implanted in my mind. So I'm a little bit more patient with him. But usually he'll come around. This particular, he just was not budging. I mean, we tried everything. I was like, we'll get ice cream after class. We'll do this. And he was like, nope. Um, so you had told me after you were like, yeah, he will not like, you know, and then you got a little deeper. And then like, because of my generator and him and like, it's, it's a, it's a power struggle there. But we never went back because I had asked him, he was like, I don't want to go back to that class, mommy. And I was like, why? And he was like, I, I don't, I don't like it. I don't want to. And I said, okay. I said, do you want me to find you another studio? And he said, yes. And he actually told me, he's like, maybe when I'm a little older, because <laughs> mm -hmm. um, he, he saw that there was a lot more to it than I think him just thinking he was going to do karate moves. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so to my parents listening, it's like, I was like, oh, okay. And had you and I not had that conversation, and me having in the back of my mind, like, oh, yeah, that's right. My son can't be forced to do certain things to a certain level. Like if he doesn't feel it, if the energy isn't there, he's not going to do it. Right. So that's yeah. very, it's very, very powerful, especially from a parenting standpoint of understanding that, especially you have a child that is someone like my son and not someone like me who might would have been like, sure, I'll go, you know, it's all good, you know, um, and is a little bit more hesitant and has no problem saying, no, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So your son is, his decision-making strategy is intuitive knowing. And so yes. it's about, for him, it's in the moment, his, the, the way he's designed to basically stay well is to trust his intuitive knowing in the moment, even if his brain, his mind, his logical mind can't come up with reasons why his body is saying, no, don't go to class. So um, yeah. it's about trusting that and supporting that intuitive knowing. Now, I would say that that's a universal theme, not that necessarily that super specific decision-making strategy, but the universal theme sure. that you're highlighting here is trusting our kids to know their truth, which of course is always a fine line. I mean, when my kids were young, they'll, when there's a kid is two years old, he'll literally walk off a cliff and kill himself, you know, or, or like do something, eat something that'll kill him. So it's not like, oh, well, my, my child's inner guidance system will always keep them healthy. Yes. We have, we have to keep them healthy and protect them while we nurture their inner decision-making and trust it which is, can make life a little inconvenient, right? Maybe you paid for the class now, all of a sudden he doesn't want to go. That's, well, that's wasteful, yeah. right? But so for those of you who do get into human design, it's not about doing it all that way. It's about finding that, that line, that fine line, that balance between, all right, this is what, I need to make this decision for my family or for my child in order to keep us safe versus, you know what? I actually don't need to be rigid about this. Yes, it would be more cost effective or efficient or maybe potentially healthful or convenient if, if my child did this, but it's more important for his long-term health and well-being and thriving for me to help him trust his inner knowing versus sure. me uh, overriding that. A hundred percent. And that that's so eloquent. And then fast forward, he wanted to do tennis. We went to the tennis court and he immediately started crying, but I got down to his level and I said, Hey, would you like mommy and daddy when he saw the gentleman and he doesn't, he has a thing he likes, he feels more comfortable when they're women coaches, women teachers. Mm -hmm. um, so we had the whole spiel. And I said, would you feel comfortable if mommy and daddy were on the court with you? We're not going to leave you, but we'll go in the court. He said, yes. Within minutes, my husband ha was able to leave off the court. My son was fine. Him and the coach were going. They were 
they were going back and forth with each other and they had it. So I say that to say those are the two differences of him really, really feeling with that karate studio like this isn't for me. This one I can see was more of a shyness and he was like, I don't know. And I said, well, would you like us to walk in with you? He said, yes. And then once that was it, he wrote, he ran with it and we could move back and he was fine. And it's like, I want to do this again. Mm -hmm. So, but you eloquently put that. So I know you had, you were sharing of how there are ways that these can benefit parents and breaking that down. So if you wanted to go back to that, you could. Yeah. Right. So just, just in addition to the, um, the, the, those foundational points I made about for any, any person, of course, all that applies to, we'd want to know that about our children as well, but, um, Mm -hmm. some additional pieces about how we raise our children, uh, there are going to be, there's a whole spectrum of how hard should I challenge or push my child in order to, to grow, we must be challenged. That's just the, that's just a universal truth, right? To grow, there must be some, some friction, some challenge, but, but how much? And so human design will show that very clearly of whether it's healthy or not um, to, to challenge a child. And that for my, my son, Jacob, who's, not only is he autistic, but he also had global delays, developmental delays, and he was low tone, right? So there's lots of therapies. And we knew from his human design, he's not designed to be pressured. He's not designed to be pressured. So we needed our therapist to take the, yes, we need to challenge him, but on the spectrum of all kids, it, he has to be as close to minimal challenge as possible. Um, and then he would develop on his own time and that he shouldn't be in this environment where he's under this pressure and feeling this, this um, sense of urgency uh, for him to develop faster than he, than he would. And communication style. So we can see very clearly um, a ton about uh, what is the, what is the true voice of any human being and, and, and which voices are not right. And what can we expect from our child, how would we expect them to to communicate? Also, timing of growth and speech, bedtime and sleep needs. So the generators are going to basically should not have a bedtime um, and we need to let them burn off their energy. Like if they're staying up too late, if our generator son Noah is staying up too late, we know he's just not getting enough exercise during the day. We need to create more experiences for him to burn that off. But if we force him to go to bed when he hasn't burned it off, it's actually unhealthy for generators. Whereas my reflector son and your projector son, they need help to get horizontal. Like they, they benefit from a set bedtime because they, they'll just get wound up and underneath it, they, it's not really their energy. They're just wound up and amplifying your energy. And so it can be really unhealthy for them. You can't really trust that, that they'll show signs of fatigue when it's time, you have to help them um, lay down and help them release the energy that they absorbed from the day. So anyway, the short of it is, it can tell you a lot about your child's sleep needs and and how how to approach bedtime. Sensory sensitivities, um, sensory style as well, Uh, moods and emotionality, mental processing, uh, it even has a little something to say about nutrition and style of diet. And then understanding their unique energetic connection to each person or community. So um, like in the case of our Jacob, it's really important that we have a caregiver 
that vibes well with him. And that would be the case for any of our kids. We'd want, we want the best people for them. And someone might look great on paper, but then when you get them together, the energetic just isn't working. And that's something we can observe and intuitively get. Well, human design, and you had asked about relationships, we can take any two people's charts, the, those maps that I showed you, and lay them on top of each other. And we can see how that relation, where that relationship is going to work well and where it's not going to work well. Where are the friction points? Uh, so one of my favorite things to do is to do couples human design. I think it's phenomenal for any, any business partners or any life partners or, or lovers, couples, um, as well as family units. But that mapping will show you why your relationship is the way it is. And then are there any misconceptions about human design that you want to clear up? Well, the thing I'll say is that it's, this is, um, it's so different. A good portion of it is so different from anything that I had ever been exposed to and a lot of people have ever been exposed to. Um, the, the thing that I think is important to know is it's not about learning your human design and then doing what your human design says. It's about experimenting mm -hmm. with it. So what, what a human design reading does, or, or if you come to understand your human design on your own, it creates a new, it basically gives you a new pair of glasses to wear to see life more clearly. And then when you're seeing it more clearly, you naturally make different decisions. So it's about expanding your awareness and your perception, but it's not, it doesn't give you a whole bunch of new rules to follow. Like you, you, Nobody, nobody lives their human design um, because of their, what, it's, not, it's not a religion, right? It's not about a new, a new um, rule book to live by. You, if you're interested in human design, it's going to open your eyes. You're going to see some things that you currently don't see. You're going to understand some things at a deeper level than you, you understood them before. And then you'll experiment with what you've learned and you'll experiment with that new awareness. And the whole point I'm trying to make is that you verify it for yourself. You don't have to trust any, you don't have to trust human design. You don't have to trust a human design expert about your kids or your life. It will open your eyes and then you can experiment with it or not. So if when human design gives you your strategy for engaging life and your decision-making authority, you know how to make decisions as yourself, You'll see yourself not using that and you'll see the results of that and you'll see yourself using it and you'll see the results of that. And so you come to it, if you're interested, then you can experiment with it or not. And through your experimentation, you either verify it or not. The reason why, you know, I would ever take anyone's time to share about it on this podcast is because I've verified it for myself and with hundreds of people. So, but... That doesn't mean it's for you and it doesn't mean that you have to do what it says. You get to, to, to choose whether you engage with it and once you're engaged with it, you get to experiment with it. And I think it helps to plant the seeds. I know for me, it planted a lot of seeds that maybe I didn't even go all deep that I know I could have, but it planted some seeds that I was able to kind of revert back to, like I said, if me and my son and I are having a struggling moment or even my husband and I, I can be like, okay, wait, I know what this is right now mm -hmm. and what this is leading to. So it does help. Um, what is the family penta design? So the, the simplest way to, 
to describe that is that once you get three to five people together, there's a whole other mm -hmm. energetic thing that happens. There's like, there's an electromagnetic field that, that happens and it draws on each individual differently. So you could be a per like, and we, we've all noticed, observed this phenomenon where each person is a different, it's the same person. It's still you, Nicole, but you're different when you're with different people. You know, when you're with your husband, oh, right? You're yeah. going to, there's parts of you that show up in that relationship because of the unique interplay of your energetic mm -hmm. bodies than you were with like an earlier in life um, boyfriend, right? That was, that was a different dynamic. And we can't sure. override that. That's just the, so each individual has a design, but every partnership has a design as well that the individuals so once we're in a relationship a huge part of making a relationship work is acceptance accepting that it is how it is there's always room for growth and there's always there's always room for transformation but almost always through additional acceptance and surrender you know so we all this is like obvious right but if we think our spouse is going to change and we try to change them it's not going to go well we're going to be disappointed. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to get in fights. Um, we can still get better results, like especially in the space between us where there can be intimacy or not, understanding or not, love or not. That's, that we can work with. You know, we can, we can create intimacy where there wasn't. We can create understanding where there wasn't. But we're not going to change the energetic of the relationship. So you asked about family penta. Family penta is the next level up. Once you get three people together, four people together, five people together, you know, you have a child, you have two children. Whenever those, mm -hmm. that family unit is together, we can see the map of that family and we can understand where the, the, the gaps are. You know, where is that family unit going to be consistent and reliable and where are they not? I'll give you an example. Um, my foursome, my wife, Rochelle and I and our two boys, we have three prominent gaps. One of them suggests we're not going to be a family that goes out of the house together. We're not going to be that family that you see at the Sunday, you know, um, festival in the park, you know, not all together as a foursome. And so it was so helpful to see that because especially my wife, that's something that she thought families should do and do easily. Right. And it's like, we never could get it together to do that consistently. Now we had a caregiver, a woman who, who watched our boys um, and provided amazing loving support, um, Lara, and she actually filled that gap. So whenever she was around, we would much more frequently go out. Like we would go to a wedding as a family and Lara would come along because she filled that energetic gap. And then as a unit, we had that capacity to go out into the world together. Wow, that's so crazy that and that that one energy level or that one shift allowed for that to happen. But between the four of you, it just wasn't cohesive enough to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and I always find that it's so fascinating that before we come, become parents, before we get married or whatever that is, whatever the expectations that we have that we think it's going to be, like I could resonate with your wife completely of being like, no, we should be going on doing all the family things. And you know, the activities and it's sometimes it's just not. So to anyone listening, like it's okay, you know, maybe take a step back. Maybe if you're realizing that there's some um, resistance of when you and your family are trying to do certain things or whatever it is to maybe take a step back and be like, well, 
why? Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we're better to just stay home and play a game or better to just stay home and watch a little TV and everyone's kind of home together. It doesn't have to be going out all the time. I'm going to shift it a little bit here for you since as we're winding down here, what are some ways that you release, reset, and recharge to make sure that you're at your best? What have you found that really helps you to kind of like get you back in in Zen mode here? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's not going to be anything revolutionary, but the basics, like getting getting enough exercise, (laughs) getting myself to sleep. Sure. um, Yeah, being in supportive relationships, conversations like my men's group, uh, nature. As a projector, personally, like, for you all who are new to human design, if you remember earlier, I'm, I'm here to guide and advise. And, and um, part of what really makes me grounded and supports me is to be anytime I get to do that. So whenever I get to do my that's coaching, awesome. do my readings, that fills me up, you know, because that's, that's me being me, being successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course, I have to manage how much of that I do. But mm-hmm. That's like, I'll, I'll notice sometimes even on vacation, like being on vacation for two weeks, oh, I haven't done a reading and that, that's a missing for me, you know, that opportunity to really lock in with someone and be there, be there, um, to be their projector in that moment, you know, so. That's cool that you recognize that you need that. Um, how can people connect with you? I'm, my website is coachwithlucas.com and uh, yeah. So right, right now outside, I do some business coaching, but really what I'm available for is human design readings for individuals, couples, organizations, and businesses. Families. Yeah. And families. And are you on any social media? Can anyone follow you anywhere? Uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a good social media follower. I, uh, I have some very, anyway, you could probably find me on social media, but uh, yeah, not not necessarily somebody no. to follow. No, that's awesome. I love that. Have, have you read the book? I know you said you read a lot about human design, but I think there's one about the gentleman who wrote a book about being unsocial and being successful from not being social. I think it's called, it's not called unsocial, but basically he's like, yeah, he doesn't own a social media. He thinks he's just, he's completely against it. And he wrote a book of how he became successful without needing what everyone's like, what do you mean you don't have TikTok? What do you mean you don't have, what do you mean? And my husband's very much that way as well. So yeah, I'm like, I'm interested to know if you read that, if you know about it, or if that's your stance that you're like, yeah, no, I'm, I can, I can do this and and it's okay. I don't need to be on social media. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm there, but I'm I'm not someone who's super consistent. Um, it's just not my design to be. I'm I'm someone who my design is to be kind of introverted and studying and waiting. People call on me when they mm. need me, and people talk. People will say, "Oh yeah, I had a design just like how you got introduced to me, right?" So Lynn, gotcha. Our 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 colleague and associate, she is a networker by design. And so I wait for people <laughs> like you to invite me onto the podcast. I wait for people like Lynn yeah. to recommend me. Um, and my job, my design is to to hang back and just study so that when, when I am called on, I can deliver 
No, that's good. And, and, and I love it. I love how you're so passionate about it. Um, you're so knowledgeable, knowledgeable about it. I know this is something that you've been doing for many, many years. Um, and I appreciate you now talking with me. This is the third time for you coming on and um, educating my listeners. I know it's, it's crazy that you've been involved with it for a long time. And there's still a lot that people don't know about it. And when I have um, Lynn and I, we have a mastermind group and we've actually mentioned it quite a few times. I've mentioned you quite a few times and um, people are like, no, I've never heard of human design. And we're like, oh my gosh. And you know, you have to get it, you know, you have to get yours read and um, mentioning you. So thank you for coming on, for sharing that um, and all of your knowledge with it, with my listeners. Are there any other final thoughts you want to leave with my podcast community? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you, Nicole, for having me on. It's an honor and privilege. And for anyone listening, Thanks for, for giving this time. I hope that you got something valuable. And even if you never engage with human design, what human design shows, it, it really proves and is that there's nothing wrong with you. There's so many of us who are comparing ourselves to so many other people in the world and feeling badly about ourselves and then embarking on this futile um, mission to fix and improve ourselves and fix and improve our lives or fix and improve our relationship. What human design says is, is shows us is that it's like, relax, be yourself. You are who you're meant to be and let life happen. It's really about letting life happen. You're designed to get your needs met. You're designed actually just like, think about how animals that migrate long distances, you know, how does a hummingbird that migrates from Central America to, to north, the northern parts of North America, how does it know how to get there? It's because its body is hooked into the larger pattern of life. And it doesn't have a human brain in mind to screw it up, you know, to feel bad about itself and to doubt its, its sense of direction and all that. You're designed to move through time and space and relationships, to be in the right place at the right time, to have serendipity, to be with the right people who do, who do, um, synergize with you and need what you provide. It's not going to happen all the time. It's not going to happen necessarily on the timeline that your mind thinks. But if we can relax, love ourselves, and just show up to life as ourselves, really magic can happen and we can be healthier in the process. It's, uh, so all that to say, it's like love yourself, like really yeah. love yourself up and, and don't, don't indulge in any of that comparison. There's nobody like I you. I love it. Nobody like you. Thank you so much, Lucas. Um, I, I don't know if I was expecting that answer. So thank you. It was a very um, wonderful kind of way to end this all because I think truthfully now talking to you and understanding it all, that is what it is, right? Of just really understanding and loving yourself. So thank you so much again um, for coming on. I hope your parents feel better thank you. And, and recover quickly and continued blessings to you and your family for love and light. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast. Subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their Motherhood Village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.